Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be reading 15 verses out of that chapter and then going to chapter 9 and reading 15 verses there. Speaking to you this morning about grace giving. Grace giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Follow in your Bibles uh, as I read. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their, of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints." And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do so, but also but to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to a man that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not to not not that other men be eased and you burdened, but but by an equality that now now at this time your abundance may be the supply of their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for you for your want, that there may be equality, as it is written, He that hath gathered had gathered much had nothing left over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Now chapter 9, verse 1. For as touching the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous. Does anybody know what superfluous means? <laughs> yeah, it means, it means it's unnecessary. It's uh, which same thing, you know, superfluous. I looked it up. I had to look it up myself. You know, I'm supposed to know these things, but that's what it means. It's, it's really unnecessary uh, for him to say this but it is because they know it. But as touching the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you, of them of Macedonia, that a chaos was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf that as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, that, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would, be, be, that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of, as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, 
So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministered seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of our God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of this passage. We thank you, Lord, that it's your word, and we can count on it to be true. And uh, the instructions you give here about giving, Lord, are very important for us and help us to heed those instructions today. We thank you that we as a church have the privilege of giving to missions. And we have several missionaries in various countries uh, preaching the word of God today because our church had a part in sending them there and keeping them there. We pray, Lord, that you might help us to realize this is a privilege that we have. And may all of us be involved in that privilege of helping spread the word of God to foreign countries. We thank you, Lord, today for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer today that if there's anyone here who has not yet responded by faith to the gospel, that today they would do that, that they might be able to leave here knowing that they're on their way to heaven and that their sins are forgiven and they're justified in your sight. Give enablement, Lord, to bring the message and, and accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you probably figured, today I want to speak to you about giving to missions. Most Bible-believing churches have a missions program in some way. By that I mean they seek to fulfill the all-the-world all part of the Great Commission uh, by sending missionaries uh, to, to the field or helping send missionaries to the field and providing them money so that they can go to the field and then stay the, on the field to preach the gospel to win souls for Jesus Christ, and to establish churches where the people that have been saved can be uh, discipled and then sent out to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some churches support missionaries by designating a certain percentage of their income. I've known several churches who say 10% of all that comes in will go towards missions, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, that, that program. Some support missionaries by just taking special offerings for special missionary projects. And then some use what's called the faith promise model for missions giving. Uh, you cannot say that any particular method is wrong because the goal is to tell the gospel to people all over the world. And God says we are going into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the goal. But God, so God does not say, now this is the way that I want you to give to missions. You won't find any scripture that says that. So when we say we adopt the, we use the faith promise method, it's not because 
this is the only method and this is the one ordained by God and nobody, anybody does differently, they're doing wrong. No, that, that's not it at all. We just get some principles from the word of God that we use for this method. And God, does, God gives us commands. He doesn't tell us that we're to give a certain way, but he does give us commands about our responsibility in getting the gospel around the world. And he does give some principles about giving, and we'll be looking at those, some of those today. For years, our church has used what's called the faith, faith promise model for giving to missions or the faith promise method. It has enabled us to give regularly to missions, to uh, support missionaries who are on the field, and also it has enabled us to have a worldwide influence, as you can see on our missions map back there. Missionaries in various places around the world, and so our little church has a part of the worldwide missionary outreach, and the Lord says, go into all the world. So let's consider uh, giving to missions today. Let's think of some things that we need to know about missions. First of all, our goal in missions is to obey God's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I want us to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 28, and uh, I'll read to you the Great Commission. The Lord said, first of all, in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, because God's given all power is given to him, and he's given us the power to do it. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. Now, that's the great commission in Matthew's gospel. In Mark's gospel, it says this in chapter, in chapter 16, verse 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew said all nations. Mark says going into all the world. In Acts chapter 1, the Lord gave this command, but ye shall receive power after the, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of, uttermost part of the world. So we're to be witnesses, all nations, all the world, go, going into all the world and preach the gospel, and then uttermost part of the world. And so the gospel is given to us, and uh, we are to take that everywhere. Now, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. Um, it's the good news about Jesus. I don't, you know, I have a tract here that I wrote some time ago, and several have used it, and I use it all the time. It just says good news. What does that say? Well, it's good news. <laughs> and uh, there's a there's a picture there of somebody paying off, paying off their mortgage, and that's good news. Well, there's better news than that, and that is Jesus died for us. So the gospel is just the good news. I remember one time many years ago, I sat on, a, on an ordination council, and I knew the man that was being ordained into the ministry, and somebody, one of the preachers, asked him a simple question. He said, what is the gospel? And the candidate for ordination just sat there. He, he didn't know what to say. What's the gospel? And he gave some explanation, and then one of the preachers felt sorry for him, as I did as well. You know, I felt sort of sorry for him. He's on the hot seat, and he just wasn't thinking right. And he said, the death, burial, and resurrection. And, and the guy said, oh, yes, the death, burial, and resurrection. I hope that you, as God's people, go to this church, will know what the gospel is. It's the good news about Jesus 
that he died for our sins, he was buried, rose again the third day, and as 1 Corinthians 15 says, and he was seen of many witnesses. Jesus died for our sins. That's the gospel. Go get in all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. It's for everybody. And it, the gospel is for everybody because everybody's a sinner. No matter where you go, people are sinners. If you go to Africa, they're sinners. If you go to India, they're sinners. If you go to Papua New Guinea, they're sinners. All over the world, everybody has a common problem, and that is they're a sinner. And so the Lord says that we're to go to all the nations, all the world, every creature, uttermost part of the earth, because there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's the good news. If you can take the good news to a sinner and tell them how they can get to heaven, and if they'll believe that good news, they'll be saved and they'll become a witness as well. And so the gospel is for everybody. And believers are commanded to go and to preach the gospel. We don't have a choice about that. We are supposed to tell the gospel. And uh, so we as God's people are to do that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, For there is no difference between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile, everybody has the same Lord over them. You are going to answer to him one day. He's the Lord. And he says the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Anybody in the world that calls upon Jesus to save them, he can save them. And then it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it asks this, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. As I said in a message not too long ago, you know, um, God does, didn't ordain angels to take the message of the gospel. He ordained people, us. And so we're to preach the gospel. How can people believe if they never hear? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches it to them? So we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Our goal is to obey God's command. Share the gospel where we go and give so others can go where we cannot go. Giving to missions allows us to reach all nations. So you, as an individual here in this part of Ohio, can have a part in that all the world, uh, part of the gospel, by giving to missions. And you can do that. You can't go to those countries. Maybe you're not able to. You don't have the finances to. But you can send somebody to go. And that's what we do here at our church when we send missionaries. Now, our model for missions giving is, as I said, the faith promise model. We find that in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. We wanted to study it some this morning. First of all, the background of chapter 8 and 9 is that Paul was collecting a gift for the suffering saints at Jerusalem. One passage says they were poor saints at Jerusalem. So they did suffer, that's for sure, and they were poor. And so he was collecting a, an offering for them. And he went to the various churches collecting money so he could take to Jerusalem. Uh, if you look with me in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, verse 29, he mentions that. And he says this, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it, by, to, the, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, that was Paul. And so they began collecting this uh, for 
for the saints in Jerusalem. Romans chapter 15, Paul was addressing the Romans, and he said to them, I go unto Jerusalem. It hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. We're in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but if you go back into 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 16, he also mentions this. And he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So Galatia, he mentions Galatia. If you were looking at the G and C and on the map, then up, up to the left would be Macedonia. Down to the bottom on the left would be Achaia. And up to the right, up there, would be, uh, would be uh, Galatia. And so he says that he's, uh, he's writing, but here he mentions them. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia. So everywhere he went, he told about this. Under, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them I will send to bring you your liberality unto Jerusalem. So he's been talking about this, collecting uh, for the saints. And so the Corinthians had promised, we find from what we read today, that the Corinthians had promised a year ago that they would send money to help Jerusalem. And, and Paul had, been, had boasted about, about them to Macedonia. And uh, he told the Macedonians, look, the church at Corinth a year ago were all ready to give, and uh, it, it prompted them to be excited about it. And so the fact that the Corinthians were going to give uh, encouraged the Macedonians to give, and so Paul writes the Corinthians and says, now, now I want to just remind you something, what you said you were going to do a year ago. And he said, I'm coming your way, and when I come, I don't want to all of a sudden at the last minute you say, oh, we forgot it, and take an offering. That would surely be a bad signal because I already boasted about you to the Macedonian churches that you were going to do this. So just a word of warning. Please get your, your offering together before I get there so you will not be ashamed. So have it all ready. And so he's telling them that in chapters 8 and chapters 9. He encourages them to give, remembering that God's, God's promises to them. And those promises are found in chapter 9 of, of 2 Corinthians, uh, verse 7. He says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able, here's the promise, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And so, therefore, by faith in God's promise, they were to fulfill their promise to give unto uh, the, the suffering church at Corinth. And this is called faith promise giving. They promised that they would give, and they based their promise that they would give on God's promise that he's going to bless. And so then they, by faith, give. And that's where we get the principle of faith giving. In other, it could also be called, as I have entitled the message, grace giving. We notice this in the passage. You see, grace enabled them to give. You would not be able to give if it wasn't for the grace of God. You wouldn't have anything to give if it wasn't for the grace of God. Grace enabled them to give. Grace allowed them to give. I mean, to think that God in the universe, who, who really needs nothing, gives you the privilege 
of giving something that belongs to him, that he entrusted you, giving him a part of his, his uh, blessings uh, to him, and he's going to bless you for it. I mean, that's grace. That's truly grace. So grace allowed them to give, and grace is actually what they gave. So when they give, it's grace as well. Look at chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll look at the uses of the word grace. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or we, we, we remind you of this, that uh, the grace of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, uh, verse 4 says this, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. And I looked it up, and the word gift there is the exact same word in the original as the word grace. So what they're giving is grace. Their giving is grace gift. And so then look at verse 6. He says, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the, the same grace also. The fact that you're giving is something, it's, that's a grace thing. And uh, you're, you're good at all these other things, faith and utterance and all, all the things that he mentions there, and knowledge and diligence. He says, now perfect also in you this, this grace, and that is the grace of giving. Be like the Macedonians. Uh, be willing to give. And so he mentions the word grace uh, several times. There's also mentioned in verse 9 and verse 19. So our giving to missions is based on the model in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The great need back then was suffering saints in Jerusalem. The great need today, as far as we're look, the way we look at it, is the need to take the gospel around the world. These missionaries need money so they can go to the other parts of the world. That's the need. And so the great need is missions. So we promise to the Lord that we will give a certain amount for missions each month, believing that God is able to supply all our needs and will enable us to give to every good work as he chooses. And so by faith we promise, and therefore faith promise giving or grace giving. Now, let's notice some things about this giving in, this, in these passages. First of all, our giving for missions should be sincere. It's not something that's just flippant or just something, it's a, you know, it's, we just thought of one day, well, we'll do it this day, but it's something that's sincere. I mean, it's something we really believe that we should do. And so this is seen in the Macedonians. It comes from a surrendered heart. Look at verse eight, chapter 8, verse 5 first gave their own selves to the Lord by the will of God. They gave their own selves to the Lord. Before they ever gave anything to the Lord, they gave their own selves to the Lord. Remind you of Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So if you give your, yourself to the Lord, uh, God's probably going to have control, or he will have control of your pocketbook or your purse wherever your money is. God's going to have control of that if you give yourself to the Lord. I remember the story I heard one time years ago about a preacher who was preaching about giving. And uh, this little boy was sitting back there and just intent as he could be listening to the message. And uh, the pastor talked about giving. And he said, first of all, you need to give yourself to the Lord. The Lord says, present your own bodies to the Lord. And then they took an offering and the offering plate was going by and the little boy Back there, he reached in his pockets. He didn't have anything. And he told the usher, he said, put the plate on the, on the ground. What? Put the plate on the ground. So he put the plate on the ground. The little boy got in the plate. 
And he says, now, I offer myself to Jesus. Well, that's a crude illustration probably, but, you know, that's what the Lord wants. He wants us. He's not so much interested in money. It's his anyway. He wants us. So these people first gave to the Lord. They had a surrendered heart. They also had a loving heart. Uh, Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 8, the Macedonians gave because they loved God and God's people, uh, the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Let's remind ourselves of something. Those in Macedonia, those in Achaia, those in Galatia, guess who they were? Gentiles. Who before they came to know Jesus were anti-Semitic. But when they came to know Jesus, they realized that Jesus was a Jew and that God's plan to save the world was through the Jew. And it turned their heart. They, they were changed. So they loved the people in Jerusalem, and they wanted to help them out. And so they loved, loved God's people, and they wanted to help. Uh, look at chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 8. And he says, I speak not by commandment, by the occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. The Macedonians loved and Paul says, now I want you, Corinthians, to show the sincerity of your love. When you give to Jesus with the right motive, it just shows you love him. And then he reminds us in the next verse about God's love for us. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. None of us deserve it. If you got what you deserve, I don't care how sweet you might be, how nice you might be, how many good deeds you might be, if you got what you deserve today, my friend, you'd go to hell. And so would I. It's grace. We're going to go to heaven by grace, not by merit. It's by grace. For by, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The example is Jesus Christ. He had everything. He was rich, and he, had, he was in heaven and as the Son of God. But he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he gave up everything, even the approval of the Father, when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross of Calvary? Bearing our sin, bearing our punishment. He gave up everything. He who was rich became poor for you. So that you see, he, you through his poverty can become rich. Is it too much for the Lord to ask for, of us to sacrifice so that others might be helped and others might have the gospel? And so now, now the Corinthians can prove the sincerity of their love by giving as well. You see, we love God because God loved us. We give because God gave. We give sacrificially because God gave sacrificially. So it's to come from a surrendered heart. It's to come from a loving heart. The sincerity of our giving is proved by that. And also from a cheerful heart. Chapter 8, verse 2 says, The abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. These were happy poor people. (laughs) And these happy poor people gave so much, Paul couldn't believe what they gave. They weren't able to give that much. It's like the widow, you know, who didn't have but two mites, and she gave it all. These people weren't able to give, but they gave. And the Lord says it just shows the the riches of their liberality. And then verse 7, the first part of the verse says, not grudgingly or of necessity. Not grudgingly. What does it mean, not grudgingly? I read where the root there just means pain. In other words, it doesn't hurt. If you, on some Sunday, if you and in the congregation and the offering plates passed, 
and you have that envelope you prepared ahead of time, and you reach in to get it, and then you leave it there, and you reach in to get it, and then you leave it there, and you don't know, man, I don't, I don't know if I can give this or not. Just leave it in there. <laughs> the Lord says, if you give that way, if it hurts you to give, that's grudgingly. And God's, I don't need your money. God doesn't need our money. God gives us the privilege of, of, of helping the others by giving. And so God says to give, not grudgingly. Or of necessity, not because you have to do it, because you want to do it. And then he says this, God loveth a cheerful giver. I pointed this out before. The word there is hilaron, the Greek word, and it means hilarious. A hilarious giver. I mean, we enjoy giving. We love to give. Now, I get paid every other week, but you'll notice most Sundays I put something in the offering. Why do I do that? Because I have a privilege that some of you don't have, and that is we get money in the mail. People send their tithe in the mail, and they'll send it to us. And so I'll put it in an offering envelope, or if it's already in an offering envelope, and I'll stick it in my pocket, and I... It's just, I don't know, I just enjoy giving it. I know it's not mine, it's other people that on that off week, you know, but I like to put it in the offering plate. I get joy out of that, giving other people's money, but I get joy giving my own, people, my own money as well. I like to give, and God says that's the way we're to give. We're to give hilariously. And so our giving should be sincere. Our giving should also be bountiful. Look at verse 6 of uh, chapter 9. He says... But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And so God says we're to sow, we're to, our giving is to be bountiful. Not, the, not meager, not just the, the least we can give, but the most we can give, it should be bountiful. You see, we reap what we sow. You can see that. You just walk out there in the world and you walk, you know, at a store and you're just looking at people. And you all know what I'm talking about. You see some people and you can just tell by looking at them that they live a life of sin. I mean, sometimes you go by them and it, it, it smells like a life of sin. I mean, you, you can just tell sometimes people who live a life of sin. What are they doing? They're reaping what they sowed. Sin is always bad. Sin is never good. And you sow bad, you're going to get bad. And so the Lord says we reap what we sow. The Bible says in Galatians 6, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. But we only reap what we sow. We we reap more than we sow. It says bountifully. You sow bountifully, you're going to reach bountifully. Luke chapter 6 says it like this. Uh, verse 38, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In the book of Malachi, you remember in Malachi, it says in chapter 3, verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that, there, storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out you out a blessing, that there shall not be man enough, uh, there shall not be a room enough to receive it. God says, you give, and I, I will bless. God blesses in different ways, but God says he is going to bless. So our giving should be bountiful. Our giving should also be systematic, and that is we have a plan. That's what uh, faith promise giving is. It's a plan. You, you say, once a month, I'm going to give so much to missions. 
and you've determined that. It's your plan. Well, that's shown in these passages. It says in chapter 8 that they give from a willing heart. Verse 11, a readiness to will. Verse 12, a willing mind. Verse, verse 7 of chapter 9, according as he purposes in his heart. So you purpose in your heart, your will's involved in it, and you purpose in your heart that you're going to do something for the Lord. So it's systematic, you think about it. And then it's an obedient hand. It says in chapter 11, or 8, verse 11, perform the doing of it. The Corinthians had said, we're going to do it, but now it's a year past, they haven't yet done it. He said, perform the doing of it. You have an obedient hand. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 7, so let him give. You do purpose to give, now let him give. And then it's also to be a re- on a, a regular habit. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week. Well, that's when we meet for Sunday. That's when we worship on the first day of the week. So generally speaking, on the first day of the week, you bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord. Uh, as far as your faith promise, that's once a month. And uh, on a certain week during the month, you give your, your faith promise to the Lord. And I know about the time of month I give that, and every month I give my faith promise uh, to the Lord. So it's systematic. You plan to do it, you will to do it, and uh, you, you set out to do it on a certain time, you do it. God wants us to do that. You must do that if you're going to be obedient to the Lord. And then we might close with this. If you give to the Lord, your giving will be successful. Your giving will be successful. Now, let's notice how it was successful in, for the Corinthians, or how he's told about the Corinthians, how it would be successful. First of all, it will produce encouragement by others who observe your giving. Now, it should encourage you when you walk up in here on Sunday morning and look up at the, at the board and see how much was given last week. Have you ever looked up and said, praise the Lord? You know, I had the privilege after a lot of people are already gone by the time they put it up, up there, and I'll come out and I'll say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and what did I do? I just offered praise to the Lord. But, you know, it encourages you to give when you watch other people give. You should not have the other effect. It should not, you not, should not say, well, it looks like a lot's coming in now. I won't give it. I won't give this week. Well, wait a minute. What's that got to do with what you promised to the Lord? What's that got to do with what you t- say the Lord, the Lord expects you to do? It doesn't matter how much is up there. You're supposed to obey the Lord, and it should encourage us. Well, we find in this passage that the Paul, Paul encouraged the Corinthians by the Macedonians. He said, you Corinthians, I want you to notice the Macedonians, what they're doing. Why don't you develop in you the same grace? So he encouraged the Corinthians by the Macedonians. That's in eight, chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 and 7. Also in chapter 9, verse 2, Paul encouraged the Macedonians by the Corinthians. He said to the Macedonians, the Corinthians determined a year ago they were going to give, and that encouraged the Macedonians to give. And so we're encouraging one of that success of, of giving. Also, it will produce blessings to the giver. Chapter 9, verse 6, he says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly. God loveth a cheerful giver. And so it'll supply, uh, it, it, it'll, give you, it'll give you blessings as, as a giver that you give to the Lord. Also, it produced sufficient supply for the receiver. In this passage, the receiver was Jerusalem. 
And so they're going to get sufficient supply. Chapter 9, verse 11 says, Supplieth the want of the saints by their liberal distribution unto them. So that from all these churches in Macedonia, Achaia, and Galatia, uh, all these churches gave so that the suffering church at Jerusalem uh, got a good bit of money that really helped them. Now, it doesn't tell us how much they gave. I'd like to know, but it doesn't tell us. But the offering evidently was sufficient, and it helped those that they were giving to. So it was successful. And so you give to missions, and we get a missionary letter and says, somebody trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Those people who trust the Lord as your Savior, don't prob- they probably don't even know about Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church, and they surely don't know about you individually, but God does. God does. And so God says, you have, you have blessed the receiver of the gift, and that, that is true. And then there's another effect of it, or another uh, success of it, and that is it will produce praise to God. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. It says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Paul's watching, and he's seeing the people do this, and it causes him to thank God. You know, God likes to hear our thanks. And it causes Paul to thank God. Now look at verse 12. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant by many thanksgivings unto God. When those people received it, they thanked the Lord. Now remember, God doesn't need anything, but he wants our praise and he wants our thanks. So Paul's thank God. The, the, the uh, Jerusalem church is going to thank God. And so all these people are thanking God. But then notice what it also says. It says in verse 13, whilst by the experiment of the ministration, they glorify God. So they thank God and they glorify God. You see, God is getting the praise. That's what we're supposed to do. You remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? That whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And when you give to missions, it's going to cause the people who receive it to thank God. And you're going to glorify God that you're able to give if you have the right attitude. And God's getting the praise. And then it says this, and, and they glorify God for your professed subjection of the gospel and, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, by the exceeding grace of God uh, in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. There Paul gives another, thanks be unto God. And I think he's talking about Jesus, his unspeakable gift or his indescribable gift. Thanks be unto God. So thanks is going to God. You notice the cycle. If you could write it down on a piece of paper, it would be like this. God gives to us, and then we receive it, and we thank the Lord, and then we give to others to give to missions or give to our church for the ministry. We give to others, and then it comes back in praise and thanks to the Lord and bring glory to God. When a soul gets saved, it brings glory to God. So God gives to you, you give to missions or others, and then the glory goes back to God, and it's a cycle. It's a cycle. You see, if you stop that cycle, you're going to stop the blessings that God wants you to have. When you hoard and refuse to give to God, he, calls, he ceases to give, get the glory, and he withholds from you what he would like to give you. Now, as I illustrated a few weeks ago, a Christian who doesn't give is like a Dead Sea Christian. 
The Dead Sea has a lot of water coming into it, but nothing going out, and it dies. The Galilee, the Galilee Sea, the Sea of Galilee, has water coming into it and water going out of it, and it thrives. We as Christians, if we become hoarders, we become like the Dead Sea, and we sort of die and dry up. You see, if you are a channel through whom God can uh, take his blessings and give them through your hands and it goes out to someone else, God will bless you. He'll give you happiness, peace, the joy of giving. He'll give you future rewards. He'll give you material blessings, and the Lord wants to do that. There's an interesting passage, and I have shared this with you before, I'm sure. But in Psalm 81, it says this. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would, not, Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own hearts' lust, and they walked in their own counsels. You don't give to the Lord. The Lord says, all right, I'll just give you up to your own lust. You can use your, all your money you want for all your things, and I'll guarantee you won't satisfy. And he says, oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my, my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversary. You remember I said God knows the past, God knows the present, God knows the future, and God knows what if. What if. And here he's, he's saying that. If you would have have, I would have done this for you. The haters of the Lord should have been submitted themselves unto him, and their, and, but their time should have, en, have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied her. The Lord said, I had so many good things to give unto you, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't obey me. You wouldn't use yourself as a channel through whom the blessings of the Lord flowed, and therefore you dried up and you didn't receive the blessings. I heard an illustration one time of somebody said they dreamed a dream and they went to heaven and the the Lord said, I want you to take, take you into... Now, this won't happen, I'm sure, but... So the Lord wanted to take you into a room and show you something. So he opened up this room, and there was all these packages wrapped up, beautiful packages. And you said, Lord, what is that? And he says, those are the blessings that I wanted to give you, but I couldn't because you wouldn't obey. Isn't that true? God has blessings for us in store for us, but we must be willing to give to him. So I ask you this morning, what are you going to give to missions in this coming year? You have your faith promise card. If you didn't get one, there's extras up here. Next week, be thinking about it, praying about it. And next Sunday, we'll pass those in and let's see what the Lord is, is going to do. But you might be here today as an unsaved person. And you might say, I've never been saved. I've never trusted the Lord as my Savior. The Bible says that God loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son. He paid for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He wants to be your savior. And he says that if you will believe in him, come to him in repentance, realize that you're a sinner and you need a savior, and you'd come to the Lord and say, Lord, I truly believe Jesus died for me and rose from the grave and paid for all my sins, and I want him to be my savior. The Lord says that today he will save you. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. He'll make you his child. He'll adopt you into his family. And he'll guarantee you that you will someday be with him in glory in heaven. God will give you that if you only receive. But you must receive. 
If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't need to give anything today. You need to receive because the Lord has it ready for you. Salvation, forgiveness, all of it is available if you'll trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege just to talk about giving to missions. Help us individually, Lord, to do that. Help us to do it with the right heart. Help us, Lord, to do it in a way that we plan to do it and uh, actually perform the doing of that. I first ask that for each individual they might obey Jesus today. And if there's one here today who's not saved, we pray that today be the day of salvation for them. We ask in Jesus' name.